Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier, uh, Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. I feel like I'm running a little fast already here. I'm ready to talk today, guys. Uh, but uh, today on the show, we're going to be talking about the most improved and most disappointing teams of 2021, plus, uh, you know, news and notes. There's a lot of stuff going on. And the first thing to kick this show off with here, Nick, is Todd Graham out at Hawaii. So the next place he'll be hired, I'm sure, will be uh, where his family lived and the job that he's wanted his entire life. And this is all I've ever wanted to do is coach this team like he did at Pitt and Arizona State and Hawaii. He's got roots there, you know, all Rice, that stuff. Tulsa. Rice, Tulsa, every place. A dream job, only a place I ever want to coach in my life ever. Uh, but Hawaii seemed like one of those places. And you put this quote on here from uh, Roger Sherman of The Ringer, and um, it was so interesting. He said, Todd Graham had one of the coolest jobs on the planet, a D1 head football coach in Hawaii. And he was such an asshole that within two years, he got called in front of the state legislature to explain why so many players, including his own son, were transferring away an all-timer. So uh, not surprising that Todd Graham was fired. Uh, and he has rubbed people the wrong way, it seems like, every single spot he's gone to. So uh, Todd Graham is out. What do you think about him leaving and who do you think will be the front runner for this Hawaii job now? Uh, you know, so, so it wasn't a shock that Graham is gone. I mean, we, we, uh, seen a lot of, you know, really ugly looking, uh, reports from players. There was a, you know, Twitter spaces thing, uh, several weeks ago where, uh, you know, uh, former players and, and, you know, recent former players as well were just kind of going off on Graham and and you know his personality and uh, you know alleged some uh, verbal abuse things like that uh, and just basically it seemed that a large chunk of the roster a significant chunk uh, just hated the guy hated playing for him didn't you know didn't make football fun um, and it was a little bit of a weird hire. To begin with, um, I mean, Todd Graham has had some success. You've mentioned he's been, you know, a, a sought-after coach at different points. Uh, um, so obviously, he's, you know, he's able to work himself into uh, new jobs, talk himself into new jobs, or, or appeal to athletic directors in some way. But it, it always seemed like a little bit of a weird fit, even though he's been at places like Arizona State and Pitt. Tulsa, you know, he's 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 kind of covered a lot of ground ge uh, geographically. Uh, Hawaii, of course, is a, a very unique uh, situation, not only from a, a program standpoint, but a cultural standpoint geographically. Uh, a lot of different things are very different. Uh, that that was well put. Uh, you know, it, it's just a it's, it's a very unique place. And Todd Graham is is so like just so Texas, if that makes sense. Like he's a, a Texas high school guy. He recruits in Texas, uh, in Hawaii. Like They're not large... be disparaging, Nick. I'm not. It's just, okay, okay. it's just, it, it's very kind of, 
what's the word? Like where you, where you have your blinders on, you kind of, you're focused on one. Insulated. Uh, that's, uh, he's just, he's, he's got such tunnel vision. It seems like in running okay. a program that he's like, you know, I want, I want to recruit Texas guys. I want, you know, that's just where he's comfortable with. That's where his relationships are. And sometimes that makes sense. Like when he was the head coach at Rice, you know, obviously, Hey, great. You know, you're, you're right there close by uh, at Tulsa. Okay. makes sense. You know, there's some players in Oklahoma, but a large percentage of, of players at not only Tulsa, but Oklahoma, Oklahoma state are from Texas at Arizona state, not that far away. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, it, it makes sense that Arizona state would recruit Texas pretty heavily. Uh, but at Hawaii, it just kind of felt weird. I don't know. And, and, you know, so it, he, he didn't, uh, not, not, you know, looking from the outside in and being far removed from it, but just sort of seeing the, you know, graphics pop up, this player signed, this player transferred in. And there was a lot more Texas than there was Hawaii. And, you know, some other places where Hawaii's had uh, success recruiting players in the past, like, you know, American Samoa, for example, or uh, California being the closest, uh, you know, mainland state there. And it, it just seemed like uh, Todd Graham, at least as far as building his roster, didn't seem to embrace the, you know, talent that's there in Hawaii. Maybe he wasn't comfortable. Maybe people, uh, you know, high school coaches, uh, players didn't connect and he wasn't able to, to uh, get guys to stay home. Some of them, I, you know, speculating, did he try that hard? I don't know, but uh, that maybe is not everybody's first takeaway. I mean, probably the, you know, he's just an asshole probably is the biggest takeaway, but for me, I, 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 I disagree. Kinda, I no, I, I think, I think your logic is right because I mean, look, you know, even uh, Brian Kelly's over there trying to fake a Cajun accent to, you know, get the local people on board. You know, I mean, it's uh, transparent and dumb, but it, at least it's something. And he admitted it was dumb. And, and you know, he was just at a rally and, you know, trying to fire up the troops. Right. But um, I, I think that uh, it, it's what you do. It's the first thing you hear coaches say, whatever coaches. Um who was it? Uh, Arroyo, right at New Mexico or New Mexico State? I can't remember. Um, who's a new New Mexico coach? Uh, I can't well, remember. Danny who. Gonzalez, is Danny, New Mexico. Danny Gonzalez. Thank mm -hmm. you. Okay. Danny Gonzalez was like, we want to recruit this state and keep our local mm -hmm. kids here. I think every coach does that. So to see a coach kind of deliberately not recruit in state when you have those should be easy kids to get to, to your school. You know what I mean? It's you want, they want to stay home and be by their family. And, and right. he didn't even try to embrace that. So I think that's a huge point. Um, not, not to cut you off or, you know, step on you in the middle of your point there, but uh, you're being a little too self-deprecating there. I think your <laughs> point was very well taken and it's a lot of thing. It's a thing that a lot of people think about. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, you hear things, uh, obviously there's, there's been a lot said from, you know, current players, former players, there've been, uh, things, you know, floating around Twitter and, and the media, whatever. Uh, but that, that to me, almost immediately, even before hearing, you know, uh, that, that players are unhappy or, or things like that, it just seemed to me like, okay, this guy, uh, I, I, you know, I can't say he just doesn't get it, but he, he was operating in a way that made me think, 
it just wasn't a great fit. And, and so it wasn't a surprise that it, you know, that it didn't work out there necessarily. It was a little bit of a surprise that it got as ugly as it did. And, you know, it's just sort of embarrassing as it was. Um, but, you know, moving, kind of turning the page a little bit, you asked who uh, might be next up. It seems like kind of, you know, number one uh, from players, you know, there, there, I believe was a, a meeting with current players, with the athletic director, trying to get uh, some feedback on what's really most important to players on the roster right now. And it seems over and over, and I see some of this from, you know, uh, the, the fan base, people interacting on, on Twitter and whatnot, is somebody who's going to embrace the job because it is so unique. Embrace Hawaii, embrace, you know, the state, embrace the culture, large Polynesian, uh, you know, group of players on, on the roster. And you really need somebody who, one, really wants to be there. And that was immediately the question with Graham is, you know, has he ever really proven this is where I really want to be? Um, enough that that was going to be a, a good fit, but also somebody that just, you know, has experience there, has, a, you know, relationships in the state, um, can connect with the fan base, can connect with the players on the roster. And so a lot of the early names, and it makes a lot of sense, are, you know, guys who played at Hawaii, coached at Hawaii, um, have, uh, you know, recent uh, history there. I've seen you know plenty of lists that include uh, Timmy Chang, record-setting uh, quarterback at Hawaii under June Jones, um, when you know one of his his early quarterbacks there has been an FBS assistant for for quite a while. Is currently the receivers coach at Colorado State. That'd be a little bit of a, a jump up just based on the resume, but again, it, it, you need somebody who is. Um, familiar with the state he's he's from hawaii played at uh, the most prominent high school there st louis um had a lot of success and and uh, i would assume recruits in hawaii a, a good bit for he was prior uh to, to joining colorado state was at nevada with um uh jay norvell so he's you know familiar with the mountain west familiar with the area of course uh then other people who have connections to hawaii um, Robert Anay, who just took the office of coordinator job at Syracuse, who was at Virginia for a, a while, was at BYU prior to that, um, is somebody who was involved in the search last time, uh, could be a, a decent fit from a, a resume standpoint, you know, not a position coach like Chang, but a power five offensive coordinator. That seems like, okay, maybe he's a little bit more ready just on paper. Um, an interesting name that I've seen thrown out, a guy who went to Hawaii, uh, got his coaching career started there, Ken Niamatololo, who's kind of seemed uh, like he's been looking around the last few years, was connected to a job at Arizona a couple of uh, years ago, was connected um, to BYU when it last opened. Um, is He's kind of been, you know, looking around and, and maybe – uh, looking for a new opportunity outside of Navy, having been there for nearly a couple decades now, was an assistant before he became uh, the head coach. Uh, Brian Smith, who was the offensive coordinator at Washington State last year, who followed Nick Rolovich from Hawaii to Washington State, is no longer on the staff there. He's somebody that uh, could potentially you know, be a good fit. 
so those are, I guess, up and comers, but then there's, there's some old names too. June Jones apparently is really interested in the job and coming back and, and he's, you know, in his seventies now, I believe. Um, so that might be, you know, uh, on paper, you might think not necessarily a perfect fit, but he obviously has led the Hawaii football program during its uh, best years. It's, it's, you know, largest uh, national prominence in the 2000s. Um, so there, there are some people who are interested and there are some people who would, I think, be good hires. Um, but I, I think, again, me from the, the far outside looking in, I uh, kind of agree with the the general consensus it seems to be from the fan base, from the players is, is you need somebody who really, really wants to be in Hawaii, who really, really wants the job and has some connections there because it's, it's got a lot of challenges. I mean, travel, you know, money is a, a, an issue there. Um, there's, there's a lot going on and it takes sort of a, a unique understanding of a lot of different things uh, to have success there. And, and it just seemed like, you know, Todd Graham had some some missing pieces of that. And I think that in addition to maybe just not quite, you know, being a, a fun guy to be around, uh, probably helped this speed up a lot quicker than than maybe we might have expected a couple of years ago when he was hired. Xavier, what do you think about this Hawaii situation? And uh, is there a certain coach you would lean towards or um, uh uh, obviously it's uh mm-hmm. like like nick mentions tough place to coach there's a lot right. going on there so uh you think todd graham deserved the boot and who would you uh put in his place here yeah i mean todd graham is, is the proto it, you see this a lot and, and nick will know this very well and so maybe some of our listeners do as well but you see this a lot in soccer you see this a lot in in, in soccer when they bring in a, a manager that doesn't speak the language of the country that he's moving to where he's like, yeah, I'm from England. Now I'm in Spain, but I'm not going to learn Spanish. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to ingratiate myself in the community whatsoever. And in two years, he's probably gone. Because what has to happen, especially when you go to a school like Hawaii, this happens at every school, but more more importantly there, you have to ingratiate yourself in the community. You know what I'm saying? It's not just anything to just wear a lay on the day that you get hired. Like, I'm sorry, that doesn't cut it for anybody, right? Like, that's what, you know, and I don't have any particular coaching hires that I think, you know, would suit them right away. I was out of really June Jones, to be perfectly honest with you, but the, whoever comes in, Hawaii needs to lean on the, on the difficult sides of it, right? They need to just be blunt and honest about what this job is. Like it's not easy to recruit at Hawaii necessarily. You're going to have some struggles as far as the time constraints, because obviously you are in a far different time zone than the East coast is like, these are things that you have to understand coming into the job. And if you aren't prepared for it, or you, if you think you, you know, it's going to be something that ends up becoming a nuisance for you, then don't take the job. I'll just be honest. Like, and I understand that teams and and you want to be honest and you want to show the good sides of Hawaii football, but it's like, you know, uh, the way Kansas was able to get Lance Leopold. I guarantee you Kansas wasn't like, look at this storied history we have. Kansas was probably like, listen, we haven't been great. Like we're not good. And we're hoping that you can take us into an era of being a relevant football team. And you saw what happened when they got a guy who was bought into the program and trying to build the program rather than just getting a guy who's a nice name or has a really nice resume attached to it, which Lance Leopold has both. But you saw the difference in a Lance Leopold and a Les Miles at Kansas. Les Miles at Kansas, you know, all all the hurrah, oh, my God. Now Lance Leopold in year one, I think, won more games than Les Miles did in 
three years, if I'm not mistaken, or close to it at least. He's on track to have Kansas better than what they've been in a very long time. It's because he bought into the program at hand, and that's what Hawaii needs. They need a guy who's comfortable being in Hawaii, which sounds like the dumbest thing I've said today, comfortable living in Hawaii for like four or five years to build this program, right? Because otherwise, you know, this isn't necessarily a, a bridge school. People don't necessarily go to Hawaii and then jump from Hawaii to a bigger job. This is a team that you've got to build up from. You got to build it from the ground up, literally, and, and make this a, a, a and bring Hawaii back to having some sort of reputation amongst college football fans, where we are actually staying up to watch Hawaii games outside of just Nick doing it because Nick is a you know is a Hawaii fan. I was gonna say closet Hawaii fan, but there's no closet there. Nick is a Hawaii fan, yeah. so <laughs> uh, you know. So that's what has get my to hoodie happen. out of the closet. <laughs> Don't you have a hoodie and a hat? Oh, I've got, it. I've got. It. Tons See, of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you ever have to wear a hoodie in Hawaii? I mean, mm, I don't know. It was the only one available. Uh, <laughs> it had the vintage uh, Rainbow UH logo. logo. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that, okay. I have to get the hoodie. But right. uh, but you know they've they've won. I mean, Hawaii's been mm-hmm. to what three bowl games the last four years? Maybe four or five, something like that. Just off the top of my head, I wasn't looking at at anything so it might be those numbers might be off but uh yeah it's a hard job but you can have success and there has been recent success i mean they uh would have played in the bowl game this year if there weren't uh issues that led to the the cancellation but you know they played in a bowl game in 2020 they uh were you know nick rolovich obviously got the the job at washington state based on uh the success that that they had had at hawaii division championship 10 wins a, a few years ago. So, I mean, they can, they can certainly win there and in the modern, you know, as we'll get into our, our usual uh, large amount of transfer portal talk here shortly, but, you know, you can build a roster relatively quickly, but, you know, Xavier, I think you said something that, that it, it is important to, to bring up that, yeah, you got to recruit people who want to be there and, it yeah it sounds silly like who wouldn't want to be in hawaii it's paradise right i mean people go there uh for for vacation but there's a difference when you're you know four thousand miles from home and you're on and i like you know i i lived and it was much closer to the mainland but i lived in uh puerto rico for uh like nine months and it was great. I could see the beach from my apartment, could walk down, you know, enjoyed it, uh, loved being there. But there was something me being from, you know, the mainland, it, it, it did feel a little weird. It felt in some ways claustrophobic because you're like on this small island. It's just very different from where I grew up and spent, you know, the, the, uh, the whole of my life leading up to that. It took a lot of getting used to. And I'm sure there are some people, and by that time I had lived in five or six different states in the, in the country and all over different regions. So I had been able to acclimate to, to different places, had some experience with it. For kids who are, you know, just for an example, like an 18 year old kid from a small town in Texas that Todd Graham says, Hey, yeah, come to Hawaii. It's great. And maybe you've never been outside of Texas before, you know, is a, a high school recruit. And you get plopped down in Hawaii and it's just so different. Um, that might not fit everybody. And so you will see some guys, you know, after a semester or after the first year, just not just, oh, I want to go in the transfer portal because 
I, you know, am looking for more playing time, but I'm homesick. I, uh, you know, this just uh, the climate maybe doesn't fit me or whatever. I mean, there can be a bunch of different reasons. Um, but that also, I think, is part of the, you know, why the, the him recruiting guys from Texas so much stuck just sticks with me a, a little bit more is, you know, you're, you're bringing in guys from thousands and thousands of miles away to a completely new, you know, situation. I, I just feel like the, uh, uh, the, the, um, got my, my brain is not working today. I can't find the right words. The, the retention rate is going to be pretty low compared to a lot of schools just because, you know, sometimes it's just not, it's just not the right place for, you know, a, a young person in their first time really probably away from home, there's a lot of newness to get used to. And, and you know, you're, you're just going to have a percentage of guys that decide I can't do this. And, and so I think the, you know, for me, the importance, yeah, you can build through the transfer portal, but I think it's got to be one of those programs where you build locally and, you know, just just say, hey, we we have to rely on the players who, you know, not everybody. I mean, yeah, they had a you know, Colt Brennan, not from Hawaii, he was from California, was the best player in school history. Um, but the the biggest part of your roster, I think, it at Hawaii needs to be local players and needs to be you know guys who are from there, who are comfortable there, who uh, want to be there, and and. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling as usual, but, uh, <laughs> but it's just, yeah, that that's part of the uniqueness of it. And you need a guy who can embrace that. And there, you can have success. I think that's where I started. You can win there. They've won recently, but you know, I, I just feel like there's a certain way that you kind of have to go about doing it. And they kind of just need to, to find somebody who's willing to embrace that and willing to sort of dive in on that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think they can find someone, but it's uh, it's been problematic. Like you said, there's a lot of issues with coaching at Hawaii time, you know, the, the travel, all of that uh, factoring in. So it'll be interesting to see who they hire as their next head coach. But let's dive into the, the transfer portal here, because, I mean, it is every time I see someone new transfer, I'm like, oh, there goes there goes Nick working on those sheets, right? So uh, a lot going on because right after the national championship game, several Alabama players uh, entered the portal. Tight end Jill Billingsley is already headed to Texas. Linebacker Drew Sanders is going to Arkansas. Same thing happened for Georgia. Defensive back Amir Speed went to Michigan State. Several others are looking for new homes, including defensive back Latavius Brinney. He started this season. Um, Lavesa, uh, Lavesia Carroll a highly rated running back recruit um, and uh, who also played cornerback and JT Daniels is also reportedly going to be in the portal, although I don't think that's official yet. Uh, LSU, oh, they lost another defensive back to white. Uh, McLaughlin is uh, rebuilding its roster, especially the offensive line and secondary through the portal in the past weeks. The Tigers have added running back Noah Kane, wide receiver Kyron Lacey from Louisiana, offensive lineman Tremont Shorts uh, from uh, ETSU FCS school, Defensive tackle Makai Wingo from Missouri, linebacker uh, West Weeks from UVA, uh, and defensive backs Garner from uh, Makai Garner from Louisiana and Greg Brooks from Arkansas. 
Uh, USC doesn't officially have Caleb Williams yet, I guess. Although I thought I saw some stuff that he, I mean, it looks like he's definitely going there, but we just haven't got the official announcement yet. But they did get um, some talented wide receivers uh, after Terrell Bynum announced his transfer from Washington. Mario Williams from Oklahoma came in. Brendan Rice also from Colorado uh, came in this week. Oregon had an influx, uh, or excuse me, Auburn had an influx of new players as well, transferring from Oregon cornerback DJ James, quarterback Robbie Ashford, and defensive tackle Jason Jones all went there. WKU got some new players, quarterback Jared Deggy from WVU uh, transferred to WKU. Uh, Virginia Tech's Braxton Burmeister committed to San Diego State. Henry Columby is headed uh, from uh, Texas Tech to Marshall. UNLV added Harrison Bailey from Tennessee. So 26 starters who have transferred and 23 turning pro graduating at least 37.7% of teams will have a new starting uh, quarterback uh, this year, Nick. Um, for running backs, Henry Parrish committed to Miami. Nathaniel Pete left for uh, left Stanford from Missouri. And I use Jay Ducker is headed to Memphis. ULL's Montreal Johnson followed Napier to Florida. Uh, so many moves here, Nick, where do you even want to start with this? I mean, we have uh lineman too. Tulsa's defensive tackle, uh, Jackson player went to Baylor, uh, Osiris Torrance, um, is going to go with Napier to Florida. Kansas picked up a couple of players too. Um, uh, running back Kai Thomas from Minnesota and, uh, Miami of Ohio defensive end, Alani uh, Phelps, uh, uh, Phelps. I think I got them all here on this sheet. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably yeah, you- not. You committed but to it. You you committed to the the whole. Uh, we ran the, through them, the, all of the I, notes. Yeah, I, I mean, um, where do we start? <laughs> what is what are the most important moves? Most impactful moves here, Nick. And um, I mean, this is a labor of love for you for sure. <laughs> it is, yeah, and and it's it's a big chunk of my day. Most every day, it's pretty much the first thing I do when I sit down at the computer is catch up on all the emails I've sent to myself, just, you know, scrolling Twitter the <laughs> night before, uh, so-and-so transferred, so-and-so you know, committed to the new place, so-and-so's in the, in the transfer portal. And so it's definitely top of mind for me, uh, kind of an all day, everyday thing. It's something I, I, you know, try to, to keep up on and it's a bigger, you know, I mean, we obviously talk about it every week. It's a big chunk of each of our shows. Uh, there's, there's so much going on the, the team, by team uh, kind of interests me a little bit. LSU has had to get pretty, pretty creative because they've been, uh, you know, the, the transfer portal into and out of LSU has been busy. They lost some significant uh, players in the secondary. Seemed like it was the, the hardest hit when Elias Ricks transferred to Alabama um, you know, they, they uh, like you mentioned, McLaughlin uh, transferred to Arkansas. They were able to bring in a couple of uh, defensive backs from Arkansas. So it's kind of like LSU and, and Arkansas worked out a trade. Uh, it looks like, you know, two guys probably will be starters at, at both schools. Um, and they're kind of interesting because, you know, the offensive line at LSU they're going to be losing four of their five starters up front. And it was a pretty thin unit to begin with. I mean, the, the depth at LSU, they only had one backup lineman 
play more than 13 snaps last season, or excuse me, in, in, in 2020, uh, you know, coming into this year, they were, they were thin. I mean, they had a, a solid, uh, you know, group of five starters and then everybody else, like I mentioned, you know, only a couple of guys played double digit snaps in 2020 and just the, the actual number of linemen uh, pretty thin compared to a lot of SEC schools. Only had 13 guys listed in the uh, team profiles and most teams have at least, you know, 15, 16, have a, a full two deep uh, of relatively experienced guys and, and try to get a, a three deep on the offensive line for the most part. So LSU is going to be young on the offensive line in a normal year looking ahead to, to 2021, but they had already brought in Miles Frazier. who was one of the, the first most highly uh, sought after guys in the transfer portal, a transfer from FIU. That was you know a month or more ago, but to add Tremont Shorts, who was, I believe the athletic Adam list is like the 12th or 13th best uh, transfer portal player just overall all positions uh so a guy who really impressed at the fcs level but they're you know lsu we're thinking uh, they're going to slot in another four-star uh stud who's just waiting his turn but they're having to go to group of five they're having to go to the fcs and, and get some guys who are a little bit more experienced and ready to play because there's just not that depth there uh the defensive line the kai wingo uh, you know a true freshman at missouri played uh was relatively productive but he became a really, really highly sought after guy. LSU was able to land him again. You know, the the secondary was was hit so hard. But they're very active, and it's kind of interesting because you know not really used to it. LSU's uh, a top ten, sometimes top five recruiter, and yeah, they lose a ton of guys to the NFL each year. But at least you know, until the, the last couple of years, hasn't had to rely very much on transfers. So it's kind of, you know, new and interesting to me because obviously new coach has some work to do there, but they're they're just rebuilding through the portal, which, you know, can't rely on just those highly rated uh, classes anymore. USC is pretty interesting. It seems like they're setting the table for Caleb Williams saying, hey, yeah, we're, we, we know uh, that there just weren't enough weapons available, losing Drake London, losing, uh, you know, some other guys. Running backs are, are a little bit of an issue already, but, but uh, losing a couple of seniors there. But saying, hey, Caleb Williams, come in. We're going we're gonna to find you playmakers. We're, we're going to bring them in if they're not already here, you know, three uh, really highly rated receivers, some guys who have some experience playing, um, a guy, Mario Williams, who you're very familiar with uh, coming in as a, a true freshman at Oklahoma last year. But we're seeing more and more, uh, not only you know teams having to get creative, new coaches, or having to replace a lot of uh, experience and production, but some really talented players, some guys who are going to go on and be starters. I mean, Jalil Billingsley probably would have been drafted this year. I mean, I know he didn't have a great uh, statistical season. I know he had worked himself into the doghouse a little bit at Alabama, but he was so um, talented. I mean, I, I believe he some of the, the early uh, mocks or whatever um, – Seemed like he was a maybe third, fourth round guy, even just you know just based on pure athleticism and, and skill set. Uh, but going to Texas, a, a coaching staff he has some familiarity with, 
who utilized him really well as a sophomore at Alabama, maybe help kind of get things to another level. Drew Sanders was a former starter, lost his uh, position because Alabama just kept bringing in guys who were incredibly talented and, and turned out to be just a little bit better. He's probably going to be a day one starter at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the team by team piece of it is very interesting to me. I uh, did want to make some notes on the you know position by position. Obviously, the quarterbacks are something we've talked a lot about. Running backs, it seems like, are, are now we're starting to hit that where we're seeing some productive guys move on to, to new spots. Um, but it, to me, is interesting to, to be able to just look at how certain teams um, are kind of tackling this talent accumulation piece of the puzzle now that that the transfer portal is uh is such a big piece of that puzzle now yeah i mean there's uh a lot of moving and shaking here xavier so what um what when you look at the transfer portal moves uh mm-hmm. of this week what is it that stands out to you here i mean obviously you see the mass exodus from alabama and georgia over the last couple of days i think that just is indicative of where we're at like that's really just I, I, for me, you know, that I think that's the most indicative thing possible. You've got two teams that were just in a national championship. And especially when you look at a team like Georgia, how many defensive players have decided to leave? Especially when you look at the fact that we're losing or we should be losing so much defensive talent to the draft. You know, guys like uh, Brini leaving, guys like Jalen Kimber, who are in year one, who who just injured this past year, right? Not not necessarily anything to him not playing because he wasn't available to or not able to from a, from a talent standpoint, but just from an injury standpoint, right? Uh, guys like Travis Dye leaving, which which is a little surprising, you know, for for me, you know, or, or entering his name in the portal. He hasn't left yet. Uh, you know, him leaving with what you would think would be a little bit more excited to have Dan Landing coming in and, and you know, Bo Nix at the helm and possibly, you know, uh, uh, an updated offense, you know, and a national championship had a uh, defensive coordinator coming in and just realizing that kids really want to move where they really feel like the best situation is and, and they're not going to waste any time to do so. You know, um, you know, Jalen Kimber, like I said, I mentioned him uh, briefly earlier, you know, this is a kid that's got all four years of eligibility left. I mean, he can really go anywhere. He go. He can move twice if he really wanted to, and still be able to play, right? And, and it's those kind of moves when you see a kid have three, four years of eligibility, and when he played, maybe not even deciding from you know a coaching standpoint, he decided not to play, but from like an injury standpoint, like a Kimber, you're, it really is indicative of how the transfer portal landscape is right now which if a kid doesn't even like his spot from the from day one he might transfer you know uh it it was funny we were kind of laughing about it with the whole uh travis hunter going to jackson state ordeal but we were like yeah maybe he goes to jackson state for a year then transfers and goes somewhere else and and, you know that's a joke but like he genuinely could do that and i don't think it would surprise anybody in the country if he did right? right you know you've got teams right now like lsu who are reeling in the secondary. I mean, they're picking up secondary pieces just just out of complete need at this point, you know, not, and we thought it was just going to be Ricks, but then everybody else decided to leave along with them, you know, and it was going to take at least two guys to re- uh, to replace a guy of Rick's uh, ability. Now you're getting guys leaving, you know, out of an, uh, and now you've got LSU having to recruit ba- uh, basically off a of need. You know, you've got Robbie Ashford going to Auburn, you know, and, and, and my friend, uh, you know, we, we were joking when we said this, but we thought it was funny. We were like, okay, well, maybe Auburn is going to possibly have a national championship run here because they got another athlete at quarterback. 
This is what they do. You know, it was like Cam Newton, Nick Marshall, Robbie Ashford. Sounds about right. Uh, you know, uh, you know, just the amount of moves. You know, I don't think that anybody could have expected this amount of moves. Yeah, we thought the transfer portal would become something like free agency, maybe, you know, maybe in a year, two years, three years down the line with all the NIL things going on. But I mean, kids are just saying, I'm gone. Like they're just out. And it's 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 impressive in one breath because obviously to see this amount of kids and for obviously Nick to go ahead and or I either I think it was Nick or Scott I can remember your voices end up sounding like the same at some point uh you know 26 percent of people will have new quarterbacks going into next year is wild to think of and we're not even it was Nick's number my voice so same people so yeah same people uh you know uh you know <laughs> we're not even through January that's the craziest part to me we haven't even gotten to the stretch. We haven't got to February. We haven't got to the actual signing day. You know, early signing days passed, but we still have another signing day left, which could, you know, send a whole new wave of transfers right before spring practice, you know, could happen. You know, uh, I, I was talking to a couple of guys earlier this week, and I was like, if I'm a team that typically starts my spring practice pretty early, I might have to back it up a little bit with all these transfers. You know, Coastal Carolina was one of the first teams to come to mind. You know, they were one of the few teams that got their spring game in right before the whole COVID shutdown. And if I'm them, I might have to back it up to April, you know, or early May just to make sure that I maybe could pick up on a couple of these kids who might want to come in for our spring practice or might want to come in for spring and, and see if they can, you know, fit in on the team because that's how volatile the transfer portal has become. Well, yeah. dev, sort of devil's advocate for that. What maybe you want to get it as early as possible to say, okay, so, are these guys did. that we, well, are these guys that we have on the roster, can mm -hmm. they play? Yeah. Uh, using Coastal Carolina as an example, because they have been one of the earliest uh, the last few years, I believe. Um, but they're going to be replacing a, a lot of guys on the offensive mm -hmm. line, a lot of guys on defense. Um, and so you think, okay, we've got some guys coming back let's go through spring practice can these guys play oh man we need a left guard and we need some depth at linebacker now mm -hmm. we figured it out during spring let's go into the portal see what we can do so i mean yeah i mean i i on the one hand push it back so maybe you don't have that you know the the practice reps uh and and a guy sees the writing on the wall and says oh maybe i should go ahead and transfer um but then on the other, you know, from a from a roster building standpoint, it, it might make sense to see where your biggest needs are once you actually, you know, look at what the, the current roster looks like on, on the spring practice field. I don't know. There's different ways to different ways to map it out, plan it out, that mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But there might be a I don't know, there might there might be a reason to do it late. There might be a reason to do it earlier. Yeah, I mean the lots this is just uh, – uh, there was a lot last year. But, the yeah, the transfer portal uh, is a bunch. Yes, one more thing, Nick. Yeah, one that I, I lost my train of thought as has been the, the theme today. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned uh, die at Oregon. And it, it is curious because, one, we don't necessarily know what C.J. Burdell is doing because he's coming back with an injury and could right. potentially hop to the NFL second year in a row. I believe that we've kind of been wondering. Got to figure it out. Got two days. Right. But if you're a guy like die, especially if, you know, you don't necessarily know what the new offense is. Uh, you don't really know, um, you know, the new coaching staff, maybe you just enter the transfer portal and see what else is out there. And 
you know, he's he's uh, from California. Maybe there's a little bit of a pool to get a little closer to home. Uh, maybe he just wants to see if, you know, maybe there's somebody with a, a connection that he had from uh, the previous coaching staff. Maybe uh, somebody that, you know, he wants to play with that he grew up with. I mean, who knows? But maybe in a situation, especially it seems like with a new coaching staff, there's a little bit more flexibility to where the new coaching staff might welcome a guy back after they enter the transfer portal, if that makes sense. Like if it's a, if it's a longstanding coaching staff or a coaching staff that's been there for a couple of years, uh, it seems almost like if you enter, that's it, you know, you're, you're moving on. Uh, but there seems to be maybe in my understanding, a little bit of, of leeway with new staffs to say like, okay, yeah, no hard feelings. You entered the transfer portal. <laughs> Come on back. We don't want to lose you. Um, so maybe some guys like Travis Dye put together a really, really productive season and could just, you know, test the test the market, so to speak. See what's out there. That that could be a little a little of this as well. Why we're it feels that. like it feels almost in, uh, in comparison to when kids put their name into the draft just to see where they'd go. And then they're like, ah, sixth round. I'm gonna go back to school. Yeah, they, they do the evaluation thing yeah. where the yeah. So that whole process is an individual board uh will assess where they think you're gonna go. So mm -hmm. you can put your name in if you're draft eligible at any time, and then you get a result privately uh for what they say. You know, they'll say, We expect you to go in the first or second round. Most kids will say, Okay, I'll bail. Um, sometimes if it's third or fourth round, if you think that you you, you know. Maybe you're peaking right now, or this is probably what you're going to get. Then you go. But if you think you're a first or second round pick and you want to hold out for that money, because money is slotted um, in the NFL draft. Mm -hmm. So you're going to, the higher you go, the more money you make, obviously. So if you think that you're going to be uh, a first round pick, you get an extra year added onto that contract. Plus, it's a bigger contract and a lot more of it's guaranteed. So you would uh, stay in school and then see if you could go in the first or second. The following year but um what about um is jackson dart did he did he officially go to ole miss or is that uh has he narrowed it down nick what's going on with him so he's done a couple of visits recently one of them at ole miss uh and one of them at oklahoma and it sounds like those are his two finalists so he's probably going to end up at, at one or the other but it also appears a, a high, uh, a, a real high chance that Michael Trigg, who's really highly rated uh, tight end, who signed with USC, sounds like they're a package deal. Uh, they're uh, going on the visits together, and, and it would, at this point, be a, a pretty big surprise if they don't end up at the same place. But uh, I'm not sure if he's leaning one way or the other. Oklahoma obviously brought in Dylan Gabriel, and there's a history there with uh, Jeff Levy, and and so you would expect that Gabriel's got a pretty big leg up on, um, you know, being the starter in, in 2022. Ole Miss, there's a little bit more, uh, at least at this point it seems, a little bit more chance of immediate playing time. D Dart would have, I would expect, the inside track to the starting job there. So I guess if I were just to, to make a guess based on potential playing time, Ole Miss seems like the, the little bit uh you know the, the more likely spot at this point and Later that'd be a big big ad for for 
uh, the offense, really both yeah. Dart and and Trigg, who I, I really, really like. Um, so as I understand it, he's not uh, you know committed anywhere at the moment, but that Oklahoma and Ole Miss have been the two, uh, you know, the, the top two and might might be his two finalists at this point. Man, I mean, just so much. Uh, we're going to come back next week and go, wow, way more transfers. I mean, because that's just what it is. Uh, every single week. I'm going forward. to announce my name in the transfer portal just for fun. Oh, yeah? Where are you going? Are you going to uh, the Cover 3 podcast? Is that what Yeah, right. Going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to make a whole <laughs> graphic with, like, CFB winning edge and, like, write a long, like, thank yeah. you guys oh, for the last two years of I'd education. Like thank God, my yeah, family, you know. my friends. Uh, thank you. See, uh, always a CFB winning edge guy. Mm -hmm. But Number two I'm out. Like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> Uh, all right, so I, I don't respect that decision. <laughs> oh man, already controversy for our transfer portal. So, um, but uh, let's talk about it. Nick. You put this together. It's um, you explained it to Xavier and I while we looked at you like deer in headlights uh, earlier <laughs> um, before we started the show. But uh, what we're basically looking at here uh, in these numbers, and once again, I'll hand it off to you, and you can explain it any way you want to, but. Um, to break it down in dumb people terms, because I'm dumb, it is we're looking at the difference in uh, performance level from 2020 to 2021 in which teams took the biggest improvement and which teams took the biggest step backwards. Fortunately, Texas is on that list, I think. So even though 2020 wasn't great either, but, um, you know, <clears throat> that is what we're looking at uh, in this section here. So, um, you know, layman's terms, we're looking going from bad to good and good to bad, but uh, I know obviously there's way more behind the scenes. So, why don't you explain that part to us a little bit? Sure. So, uh, there are basically uh, four big ratings and rankings that, that make up our power rankings. Uh, one of them is, is the power ranking itself, that's our team strength power ranking. It is made up of roster strength. So that's the talent level based on uh, recruiting ratings and things like that. But we also adjust for experience and career production. That's roster strength. There are our head coaching ratings. So specifically uh, ratings based on the past performance of uh, the teams that that head coach has, has been a part of. And then the, the part, it, it goes into those coaching ratings but team performance is basically uh, a think of it as a, a grade of how well that team has played uh, based on statistical factors. There are dozens of numbers that go into that. Um, but what I, you know, since our, our very uh, beginnings, um, we've used those sort of three main ranking ratings, uh, roster strength, team performance, and the coaching ratings to come up with those those team strength ratings so um those are our big our big four you probably if you've listened before heard me you know refer to them uh, quite a bit but team performance is one that gets updated each year and and we compare it to previous years um so we've got a, a list of historical team performance ratings in our uh large database our, our team profiles it's on each individual page that you can look through and see since 2014, like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm on the San Diego State 
uh, page right this second. So I can look at, oh, in 2020, San Diego State ranked 46th in team performance. This year, they also ranked 46th. You know, in 2019, 49th. In uh, 2016, 18th. 2015, 14th. Yeah, I, can, I can look uh, at, at each team and its recent history in this current era. Uh, we go back to 2014 because that's really what the, the all the numbers we use um, kind of uh, all of them go back to 2014. We've got some that we can compare uh, prior to that, but the the game has changed so much in you know just the last half decade. I don't want to go too far back because it's it's kind of like comparing two different uh, eras of a, of a sport, in in my opinion. So wanted to give a you know a, a good year by year comparison. In a, in a decent amount of time, uh, but also didn't want to make it too long because I felt like it, you know, the, the defensive numbers, for example, in you know 2011, completely different in a lot of ways than what we've seen the last couple of years. So, but anyway, that's getting too much in the weeds. You guys are looking like deer, deer in headlights again. Uh, so I, uh, pulling back, just the, the team performance rating itself, went through, updated all those. They're finalized for the 2021 season. Like all our ratings, they're on the 100 to uh, like 65 scale, where 100 is the, the best you can possibly be and 65 is as bad as you can possibly be. And then I also went through and updated all the, the previous years as well, because we do compare them all at once to, to come up with all the, the ratings, if that makes sense. So we compare, you know, uh, net yards per play from, 2020 to or 2021 to 2014 and that goes into the formula we do you know epa per play and and yards per pass attempt net points per drive all that good stuff through that that same chunk of time but also one thing that i think is really informative is looking at all right which teams improve the most when we compare this year's team performance rating to 2020 and we've got a list you know all teams are ranked we can put a number on it this team was the way we calculate it, the most improved team in 2021. This team was, you know, had the biggest drop off uh, from from 2021. So that's the first one. The second, I wanted to look at who's the biggest overachievers or underachievers based on talent. So I just did team performance in 2021 and compared that to roster strength. So that other, you know, big number that we uh, spend a lot of time looking at and which teams you know, kind of which team played above their talent level, which team doesn't have the most talented roster, but graded out really, really well, or at least, you know, comparatively speaking uh, to that roster strength number to the talent on hand. So we've got our most improved teams our most disappointing because they, you know, the, the biggest drop off on the one hand, and then we've got our biggest over and underachievers on, on the other hand. Did that help at all? <laughs> yes, it did. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, but yes, it, that helped a lot. And, and when we look at um, the most improved teams, so the teams that went up, there's some names that uh, I think are obvious. You know, Baylor took a huge step up. Uh, Michigan finally got over the hump and beat um, uh, Ohio State. Uh, WKU with their new coaching staff was huge. Uh, Michigan State was big with Kenneth Walker for a big chunk of the year. Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, Pitt, 
UTEP took a big step up. So there's a lot that you're not surprised to see, but some Syracuse improved that much to be the fifth highest team here. Old Dominion, um, we did have to compare theirs from uh, 2019 because they didn't play in 2020, so you used a generic rating for them, and they would have been number one. If we would have used their 2019 rating, they would have been 32nd, but still, uh, you know, top third of teams improving here. Um, Kentucky came up as you predicted, Nick. Uh, Fresno State um, came up as well, but what stands out to you, Xavier, when you look at this list of teams that moved up? Which one is the biggest one that stands out, either because mm -hmm. you you knew that they improved or that you were surprised that they're on this list. Minnesota. Uh, I think I'm a very, I'm a little surprised on, on their list. I kind of, I'll be honest. I think like most of college football after that, after losing uh, Muhammad Ibrahim in week one, and as well as the losing to, to, to Ohio state, I feel like a lot of people, you know, took them off their radar. And I think that has led a lot of people to completely forget about the year that in which they had. Uh, How about the loss to Bowling Green. That too, obviously, <laughs> you know, but this is a team that still fit as nine and four, you know, and, and six and three in the conference. And I think that a lot of people, just me included for long parts, for long stretches of the season, probably thought PJ Fleck were on some type of like metaphorical hot seat after those couple of losses. So like, you know, Minnesota for me is, is a little bit of a surprise to be on this list. Uh, you kind of forget about how porous of a season that they had before they were one of those big 10 big 10 teams that struggled with the short year uh, as most did um i'll be honest with you a team i'm surprised is not in the top 20 and this is especially with how poor of a year that they had in 2020 it, it is penn state i'll be honest um you know I, we all know how bad of a year penn state had the year prior uh and nick may be able to tell me that they're top 40 and that may you know calm me down a little bit but uh, I, I do think that Penn State improved a lot after, from a year last year that I believe they only had three wins. They struggled. They they lost a lot of their early games. Yeah, they only had a, a purely Big Ten schedule, but they were bad last year. They were just downright awful. This year, a little bit of improve. Yes, they lost the, the you know the this uh, was a four overtime game, I believe, or more than that, I believe, to Illinois. That nice. was very. Thank you, Scott. Uh, you know, it's a very shocking loss for them this year. Uh, but I think st they still were able to ride the ship a little bit. You know, they were able to compete um, most weeks. And, I mean, uh, really outside, you know, obviously they finished off with a pretty disappointing bowl performance as well. Uh, but I thought they were able to ride the ship a little bit for a team that could have easily thrown in the towel uh, once their, you know, their Big Ten aspirations were pretty much dead in the water uh, pretty early on. You know, there's a team that, that still was able to make a bowl game, you know. So I think they – Maybe not top 20, but I'm a little, you know, Nick can tell me what number they are. I'm, I'm going to, I'm a little surprised that they're not higher on this list with how poorest of a year that they did have in 2020. Uh, yeah, go Nick, ahead. go ahead. Yep. He's looking it up. Yeah, yeah. I will say, though, that the the, the one thing that I will say about the, the top 20 list that immediately came to mind with some of the teams that you named where a lot of them had an offensive explosion this year that I was not expecting. You look at, you know, Minnesota was a very good running team this year. <clears throat> Michigan State offensively was better than they were last year. Obviously, their run game went through the roof. Uh, Tennessee was one of the best offensive teams in the country. Pitt, amazing offensively. UTEP, explosive. Houston, explosive. Kentucky, one of the better offensive teams in the country as well. So out of the 20 teams that are on this list that we just have in front of us, it, it a lot of the teams that had a better team performance this year than last year, their offenses got 
ridiculously better than they were in previous years. And I think that has a lot, a lot to do with it as well. Find the number you're looking for, Nick. Yeah. So, so Penn state is a really interesting uh, name you bring up because though the record was bad in 2020 um, and it, it, of course, it felt like they were so bad they started 0 and 5, but right. they finished 4 and 5, and, you know, 1 Fair. 4 in a row, finished strong, all that good stuff. They actually, Penn State was one of those teams that our numbers and, and some other uh, uh, folks out there who, who do some similar work, um, they graded out a good bit better than their record would indicate. So they actually ranked 40th in overall team performance in 2020 despite that being you know feeling like a a just horrible horrible year so they didn't have uh you know as much ground to make up as you might have expected and then this year they actually uh, they actually ranked 54th in team performance so even though they had a winning record this year uh their team performance ranking fell um, their their rating was uh, pretty similar. It, it dropped just a, a, a uh, what like ten one hundredths of a point uh, in in the overall rating. So not not huge, but compared to other teams, the ranking uh, it it fell a bit. So they actually, as far as comparing, you know, the plus minus the change year to year, uh, they were eighty first. So hmm. pr- relatively okay. average, a little below average. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's a great example because something I failed to to put into words is you know the the team performance rating is designed with a lot of you know looking at underlying statistics some some uh, advanced stats that have been proven to be a little bit more indicative of overall um, you know team strength that that sort of thing than just wins and losses we're trying to to look beyond uh wins and losses and in fact that actually whether a team won a game or lost a game doesn't uh, factor into team performance at all um so it's it's a pretty good example where penn state was a team last year that graded out a little bit better than than you would have expected and so this year um you know similarly maybe or or I guess in in some ways a little opposite, uh, graded out a little lower than you might have expected because they started out so well, one, and fell off in the second half of the year. Um, But also, you know, yeah, last year maybe wasn't quite as bad as as it uh, appeared record-wise. And and so there just wasn't as much room for improvement, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's more about the, not the results, but the, uh, the process here. So, um, you know, that that's more what we're measuring is what I mean is, is yeah. the, uh, yeah, the, the process here, but I mean, uh, Nick, what stood out the most to you when you were looking through these, uh, numbers, uh, in, in the improving teams, were you surprised to see some of these teams move up? I mean, maybe you're not as surprised because you're obviously inputting all the numbers and uh, paying closer attention to it, but was there one that you went, Whoa, Okay, uh, I wasn't expecting that, and here they are on the list. Right, and I, I think actually uh, I skipped <laughs> reading out the actual list. Uh, so, so to do that, number one, as you mentioned, Old Dominion, uh, and that's because we did put a generic seventy rating in for Old Dominion's twenty twenty. Um, did the same for New Mexico State and UConn, who didn't play last year. 
had we compared it to 2019, they wouldn't have been number one, but they would have been a, a pretty, you know, they, they made a big jump with that, that second half of the season where they really got hot. So Old Dominion was was impressive, uh, but Baylor would have been that number one team. And I think that's pretty, uh, you know, that, that seems about right. To, to a lot of folks, Michigan, a strong contender for that. If it, if it wasn't Baylor, probably Michigan, you know, uh, bad seasons last year, conference champs this year, Michigan, of course, making it to the playoff. Uh, so they were number three, Utah state, number four, Syracuse, number five. And that's, I think the answer to your question. And, and you brought it up um, as a, as a real surprise, they were just, they were so bad in 2020 that they kind of had a little bit of the opposite, uh, opportunity in some ways of, of Penn State, they ranked 119th in team, perform- in team performance in 2020. So even though they only ranked 83rd, um, that was a big, big jump. They were respectable or at least competitive in 2021. And that's a long way from being one of the worst teams in college football in 2020. So they, you know, they jumped up. Uh, Western Kentucky at six. Um, that, you know, another team really, really interesting to me in the way that they rebuilt their roster. They're, I think, a team that a lot of, uh, you know, LSU maybe probably learned a thing or two from Western Kentucky last year. Uh, other teams that are really hitting the transfer portal hard, you know, South Alabama to, to kind of get uh, to dig a little deeper. As I you know, go into the minutia every day, we don't talk about South Alabama very much, but they are. They're bringing a lot of P5 transfers in. There's uh, some, you know, a lot of uh, guys from Indiana because there's a connection there with the coaching staff having moved from Indiana. Uh, Southern Miss is a team, obviously has a real close view of of Western Kentucky being in Conference USA uh, for the time being. Um, But they're rebuilding with, especially on the offensive and defensive line, with guys who were, you know, not playing a whole lot at Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I mean, it's almost exclusively Southern Miss is is recruiting uh, guys that that previously were at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, but they are really trying to accelerate their rebuilds through the transfer portal. In part because Western Kentucky had so much success last year, they were number six. Minnesota, we mentioned, they were number seven. Florida State, number eight. They were kind of like Syracuse. There was a lot of room for improvement there. Uh, and Michigan State, number nine, similar, you know, on the, the Power Five level, they proved they and Western Kentucky did it sort of differently and at different levels, uh, but both rebuilt through the transfer portal. So I'm sure, again, there are a lot of other programs out there who are using those two kind of as a guide as, as to how to do it. Um, number 10, Arkansas. Number 11, Tennessee. Number 12, Kansas State. Number 13, Pitt. Uh, they were... Uh, you know, probably might have expected Pitt to be a little higher, but our numbers have always, at least the last few years, uh, respected Pitt. Like they, yeah. they were a team that lost games that they weren't supposed to. So in some ways, the, the record didn't always match up with the level of team performance, uh, but they were 57th in 2020, and they moved all the way up to 11th this past year, so the, the 13th biggest uh, improvement. UTEP, I actually would have thought UTEP would have been a little higher, and had the this rating occurred in you know early November, they probably would have been one of the top 
three or four teams, um, but they fell off a little in the second half of the season. But UTEP 14, Houston 15, Kentucky 16, NC State 17, Fresno State 18, uh, Cal 19, and Mississippi State 20. But the, the biggest surprises, yeah, Syracuse, that seems a little high for a team that finished five and seven, but it's because they gained so much ground. Uh, but then other than that, you know, just the teams that jump out are in a lot of ways the ones that we would have expected that just had huge, huge turnarounds, Utah State, Michigan State, Western Kentucky, and just sort of the the way that they rebuilt through the transfer portal. Um, because in, in past years, you know, a, a team that jumps up so much from one year to the next might kind of give like my initial reaction might be, Oh, that's kind of fluky. Like, I don't know if they can repeat that. Right. But they did it in large part because they completely rebuilt their roster with guys who were ready to play. And, you know, we'll see what the, the uh, returning production numbers shake out as, but um, it might be a little more sustainable uh this this go round maybe than it was in in years past so um those are you know things that jump out just because it creates maybe other questions that i'll be interested to find the answers to in 2022 but then also digging in uh you know throughout the off season to figure out okay can we you know is utah state here to stay uh is michigan state here to stay um those, those types of things i think in some ways yeah, lists like this, rankings, and putting a number to questions like who's the most improved, uh, in some ways to me is most interesting because it creates other questions and, and you know other things that we can attempt to, to answer uh, as we're looking ahead to, to the future. And uh, just to go on the opposite of this and talk about the teams that uh, took a little bit of a plunge in uh, 2021, once again, uh, not surprising to see teams like North Carolina, who you predicted, Nick, uh, you know, kind of move on down the list. Iowa State took a big yep. dip. Uh, Oklahoma with Rattler uh, not performing well to start. Did not predict Iowa State or Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, North Carolina you got. But, yeah, those two were surprising. Uh, Clemson obviously took the big step off. Uh, without Lawrence there, Iowa looked good in the first half of the year, looked bad in the second half. USC, of course, fired their head coach. Uh, Texas was awful, lost to Kansas this year. Uh, Rice actually moved down, which was a little surprising. Arkansas State <laughs> on this list. Uh, the rest, to, to kind of round it out here, uh, Kent State, Rice, Washington, BYU, Ohio, Stanford, Indiana, San Jose State, TCU, Colorado, Ball State, Georgia Southern, Northwestern, and Buffalo. So I ask you again, Nick, the um, when we're looking at the teams that took the biggest step down, uh, obviously you're paying more attention than anybody else uh, to these numbers, but what still stood out to you after the dust settled and these were the teams that uh, took the biggest step down here? Well, so the, the biggest drop-off from one year to the next, and it wasn't a very big surprise because – uh, the, the 2020 schedule was so strange, right? Especially for teams in the Mac Buffalo who played just, I mean, their offense graded out so incredibly well in, uh, 2020 and yeah, they were really, really good. I mean, Jarrett Patterson had a historic year in a small sample, but they were only playing Mac opponents. And these are 
adjusted for team performance is adjusted for strength of schedule, but Buffalo was basically so off the charts um, that they graded, you know, so incredibly high in 2020 that that weak strength of schedule. Yeah. I mean, it brought them down a, a bit. Otherwise they would have been, you know, <laughs> number two in team performance uh, last year, but they, they still ranked 11th, which is, I mean, we're, we're talking, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a team that ranks 11th in team performance, you're a power five conference champion level team. And that just, can we, can we honestly say that's what Buffalo was in 2020? Probably not. The, even though we do make some adjustments for strength of schedule, you know, we, we can't, we just couldn't catch up to it, if that, if that makes sense. So, so part of the thing I think I learned a little bit from putting this list together is 2020, you know, it's just another reminder of how, how strange 2020 was and how in, in some ways it, it kind of messed with our ability to uh, project and, and predict 2021. Um, but Buffalo, you know, obviously just, just wasn't nearly as good, played a tougher schedule, uh, but not that tough. I mean, they ranked 124th in strength of schedule this past year. Uh, they just, they just fell off a bit. And there were some other teams that were kind of like that too. I mean, Ball State, Mac champs in in 2020 uh was a very mediocre team in 2021 they they fell off a little bit but buffalo going from 11th in team performance to 103rd that was going to be tough to beat for anybody northwestern we kind of saw it coming they were a team that i was pretty vocal uh that that our numbers expected a big big drop off and we were fortunate to to uh be right on that they finished 117th in team performance this year compared to 43rd last year. Um, you know, San Jose State, kind of like Ball State, uh, just wasn't quite able to recapture some of the, the real magic that they had in, in 2020. Part of it, a little bit tougher schedule. Part of it, maybe they just weren't quite as good as they looked uh, the previous year. But then also we're really seeing some of the disappointing teams. And you mentioned a lot of them. You know, Iowa State fell well short of expectations, North Carolina, uh, Clemson, obviously, early part of the year was was really uh, rough. But the biggest disappointments for me are on this list. Washington, I mean, we were so high on Washington, and they just were not not good. Uh, we were less high on teams like Stanford and Indiana, but they just they fell off so much um, that that they just uh, have to rank among the most disappointing teams uh, this past season. But, uh, you know, also a couple, I mean, how about Iowa is top 25 on, on, you know, biggest downgrades. And this was a team, I mean, Xavier mentions it anytime they come up, ranked number two in the country in the AP poll, middle of the season. And they still won 10 games. Uh, but just team performance rating, they ranked 58 in, in team performance. So you compare that to a team that finished in the top 25 each of the last three years, including 13th in 2020. And Iowa, despite, you know, in some ways being a better team, they were six and two in 2020. They were 10 and four this year uh, was a pretty big disappointment, at least when you, you look at sort of the underlying statistics. So, you know, some, some uh, again, answer brings up more questions maybe uh, about, what did we learn in 2020? What did we actually know? Uh, but also 
just, you know, some surprises. They're definitely wouldn't have expected Iowa to be on this list, let's say. I knew they that our ratings were lower on Iowa than, you know, the, the national rankings, uh, the, the pollsters uh, are. But to see them, you know, among the 20 biggest uh, teams moving in the wrong direction in team performance was a little bit of a surprise and, and kind of an interesting uh, you know, thing to, to pop up. Xavier, what when you look at this list stands out to you the most? <clears throat> Funny enough, the the thing that stands out to me the most about this list that four of the four teams on this list are currently top ten in recruiting. I think that is hilarious to me uh, because when you look at the grand scheme of things, we always talk about how winning is what helps recruiting the most. Uh, and obviously, a, a year in which. These teams that you're talking about, Texas is one of them. Uh, I'll give you the four teams. Texas, uh, Clemson, USC, and Oklahoma are, are the four teams on this list uh, that, uh, that uh, are top ten in recruiting with Washington not too far on the outside looking in, Stanford as well. Uh, so when you look at it, I think that's rather odd but not too surprising because, once again, you know, we talk about how winning can transfer, you know, can transform programs, but also some programs just can continue to keep their their previous successes uh, riding that wave in the recruiting trail. Texas and USC obviously are the first to come to mind uh, when, you, when you look at this list, uh, but you look at the recruiting trail. Obviously, Texas and USC are the conglomerates that they are because of their previous successes. Let's just be honest with ourselves. And but they were able, you know, and, and I think that when you look at when you look at this list, the other thing that you really see is quarterback play. A lot of these teams, even the big, the powerhouses that are on this list that, that, that Scott so eloquently read, quarterback was the biggest issue for every single one of them. I mean, Clemson, DJ Uyunglele was awful. Oklahoma had to trans, had to change from Spencer Rattler to Caleb Williams. Iowa State, Brock Purdy never took that next step. North Carolina, Sam Howell turned into Michael Vick midway through the year to even help them win games. Uh, USC, Jackson Dart was a shell of himself all year. Iowa, Spencer Petras, what did I say like three, four, five episodes ago? Welcome totem pole. The boy can't move like Washington, Dylan Morris. I was skeptical on him to start the year off and he proved me correct. They had so much turnover and, and, and you know, lack of uh, consistency at the quarterback position. Hell, Northwestern, Hunter Johnson's gone. He's going back to Clemson, which is probably one of the oddest moves. I don't think we talked about Very that. strange. Yeah. yeah, we didn't talk about that in the transfer part of this, but Hunter Johnson's deciding to go back to Clemson, which is like, dude, you couldn't get a job when you were there the first time. All right. I, I don't know. So uh, the quarterback play was just abysmal from a lot of these teams this year. And I think that has to be the number one reason why a lot of these teams on this list struggled. Uh, you know, Indiana, Michael Penix was completely off the radar. You know, this is a kid that people thought was a dark horse coming into the year. Me included, uh, you know, had a pretty good 2020, led Indiana to one of its better records in, in, in the last, you know, 10 years. Comes in this year, lays, lays a complete egg, and, and Indiana is a no, you know, is not even a conversation starter three weeks into the year. So that is, uh, I, I think, what, you know, you look at and definitely something that I'll, I'll keep my on, eye on going into next year is what teams have poor quarterback play, even the elite programs, and whether or not, you know, you can actually survive poor quarterback play no, uh, no matter how many four and five stars you have on the field. And also, you know, when you are – higher rated from 2020 you have more to lose you know right. there's more there's more ground you can possibly drop so yeah uh, i mean because what clemson went nine and three 
Right. And so, and, and they are on this list because they're falling because they obviously were a playoff team last year. And so. you, you just look statistically too, like they were, yeah. I think they were number one against the rush and uh, like the defense was still very strong. They just had nothing on offense. So uh, that was uh, obviously a big chunk of their issue. Um, uh, Nick, I can't remember what, what is on the right side here? What, what are, what are these numbers again? <laughs> I'm sorry. So this is our basically in in uh, maybe a better way of putting it. The teams that do more with less. The teams that okay. do less with more. So uh, the the I this have is it written despite here. Despite their roster strength, how right. good they played, correct? Team performance versus roster strength. How how well did they grade out on the field, statistically speaking, compared to our other you know talent uh, rating? So, you know, number one. I know this number is flawed because Texas isn't at the very bottom. So. <laughs> well, there Texas has some competition, but they are yeah. they are at least in in uh, 2021 one of the teams that that did the least with the most. Uh, but uh, the the first two teams probably aren't going to be anybody's. You know, aren't going to surprise anybody who does uh, who overachieves based on their talent available. Number one, Air Force. Number two, Army. Right. I mean, that, that, right. that makes a lot of sense, I think, to most people. Uh, from there, number three, UAB. Number four, Minnesota, kind of an interesting team. Michigan, uh, believe it or not. That is surprising. And we'll, we'll talk about that a, a little bit here. Uh, number six, Liberty. Number seven, App State. Number eight, Wisconsin. Number nine, Utah. Number 10, Cincinnati. Number 11, Toledo. Number 12, Louisiana. Number 13, BYU. Oklahoma State. Navy at 15. So even they didn't have a great year, but still uh, 15th as far as uh, this number goes. San Diego State 16. roster is, really. Right. Uh, San Diego State 16, Baylor 17, K-State 18, Georgia 19th, and UTEP 20th. So Yeah, I'm, I mean, look, Georgia recruits well, but I mean. Stetson you know. Bennett carrying that. Yes. <laughs> this is that's definitely a Stetson Bennett. There is, yeah. there is, that's the biggest reason there. Yeah, it's true because Stetson Bennett, you know, had a lot of uh, production points this year. I mean, Georgia finished third in passing offensive team performance. So that's not just, you know, passing yards, but it's, it's more efficiency metrics. I mean, EPA per pass, uh, yards per pass attempt, Things like that go go into that uh, specific portion of it, but he was he was a really really efficient player. He's gotten his individual player rating up to an eighty eight because he had nine production points this year. But yeah, I mean he's a you know his two four seven rating coming out of junior college because coming out of high school he was unrated. Coming out of junior college was an eighty three. So he's he's had to add production to it uh, to get there. But but compared to I mean. Put it another way, Georgia's quarterback ranking as a unit was 40th in talent. You look at the other, you know, Alabama, they're top five, of course. Uh, the other, you know, playoff teams are, are solid, highly rated quarterbacks. Even Cincinnati um, graded out a, a good bit better because Ritter, of course, had had so much production. His individual player rating grew a lot based on his experience. And yeah, Stetson Bennett just wasn't, you know, he was good. He was very good. We've talked about it before, uh, but just doesn't rate particularly high. And, you know, JT Daniels was always much higher rated. I actually did knock JT Daniels down, uh, by the way. He, he did get the, the negative uh, rating treatment. 
when he entered the transfer portal. But but yeah, Stetson Bennett is probably the only reason Georgia's on this list because everywhere else they're basically elite as far as just the the talent numbers go. JT Daniels got the Shea Patterson treatment. Uh, he did, yeah, he did. That, 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 because, that, that, it's close to home. So, so I we don't know. I can't even beat out a walk on. <laughs> I have a little bit of I have a little bit of a working theory about JT Daniels on the field. Okay, and as far as just pure tools, he is extremely talented, and he performed really well last year when he got the job. Yeah, he did. But there's a there's a reason that he can't beat out Stetson Bennett, and and I have my own theory on it uh we don't necessarily have to get it get into it here but i think yeah i just had to i just had to knock him down because as talented as he is there's there's a disconnect somewhere where he's just not getting out on the field so if he if he transfers somewhere gets out on the field you you know he can get his his rating back but i just i felt it was time that yeah and and scott put it more simply and and uh, probably better, I would say, than I do <laughs> because I don't ever put anything simply. But yeah, can't, can't beat out a walk on. So yeah, he got he got dinged. So what you're his, saying his, is, and I, and I want to make sure I want to make sure I quote you correctly as a journalism journalism major that I am. <laughs> if JT Daniels fails to start at the next school he goes to, he is now in the pantheon of not greatness next to Tate Martell. I, I just want you. I just want. I mean, You're, I didn't. Uh, okay, so of, uh, so yeah, the journalism major there. Quote me by by putting yeah. words in my mouth. Uh, no, Tate Martell, who breaking news uh, just officially retired from football. Uh, but uh, no, that's not exactly what I'm saying. That's not um, really breaking news, by the way. <laughs> yes, go into Bishop Gorman Hall of Fame. He'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, there's I I I don't know. I I just have a. JT Daniels, for whatever reason, can perform he, really, really he butts well. Butts head the with the coaching staff. I feel. I'm like. not sure even that, that's, that's it. I just don't. think. That's not it. I don't, I don't think, so, think so. I just, I just think there's, there's a reason, and maybe it's, maybe it's more Stetson Bennett than it is JT Daniels. But the Georgia coaching staff trusted Stetson, Stetson Bennett a lot more, yeah, and just didn't really trust JT. JT just didn't have it. That's what. That's what. If I, if I was Chris Collinsworth, that's what I would say. So I just I don't know if he doesn't have a full grasp of the playbook. I don't know if you know they're sitting in the film room and saying, "Hey JT, you know what are you going to check to here?" And he just doesn't know. I mean, I know there are a lot of things during the, the early games of the season and some of the, the preseason stuff. You know, you're you're hearing the announcers and and uh, seeing reports, uh, just just write ups and, and articles and things like, "Oh yeah, JT Daniels." spend so much time in the film room and he's so cerebral and he wears a black turtleneck and all this stuff. Uh, but <laughs> you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that he knows like what the coverage is, that he knows what, you know, is the right play for this situation. And my, my hunch is that he was just making some mental mistakes, whether it's in practice, whether it's in the film room that Stetson Bennett wasn't, and even though JT Daniels might have a stronger arm, might, you know, just, just be a better quarterback once the, the, the uh, bright lights are on and he's out there on the field, but the coaching staff just trusted Bennett to make the right decision for whatever. That's, that's me totally speculating. 
I'm not sure JT Daniels has been fully healthy the last couple of years. That might have a factor, might have been a factor, but yeah, there's, there's a reason why uh, the coaching staff trusted Stetson Bennett more than JT Daniels, but we got really off on a tangent there. <laughs> Xavier, have you seen the, um, some of the gifts uh, or gifts, some of the memes from like NFL memes and stuff about, you know, it, like one of them said Jalen Hurts reading a defense and it had it was Floyd Mayweather trying to read oh, cat in the hat. Man. You know, is that is that is that what we're saying? JT Daniels is, you know, uh, which is absolutely not true about Hurts. But maybe that's JT Daniels, you know, uh, well, we'll see wherever he decides to go, whether he actually decides to leave or not or fight for his job or whatever. I don't know. The buck is still out on him, man. I, I still got my uh... something's wrong. I mean, yeah. that that's that's what it boils down to. You know, the Stetson Bennett is incredible and absolutely does not deserve to have the walk on rating or any of that stuff. I mean, the guy was especially over the last month of the season. National was, championship uh, winning quarterback, Stetson starting Bennett. quarterback forever. Yeah, and all. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. is uh, that's going to go great when he's selling used cars. It, whatever, man. You know, he'll never pay for a drink in Georgia again. So, you know, uh, he, he can live at whatever bar until the day he goes in the dirt uh, in Georgia for bringing the dogs a national title, helping bring the dogs a, na a national title here. But, um, yeah, I like like Nick said, I don't know how we got there, but the teams that did the <laughs> least with the most here, and um, there's going to not be a ton of surprises. Well, maybe there are some surprises here uh, because some of these teams are bad and still didn't do a lot with it. Missouri at 108. We're just kind of looking. I, at I put them a little. Uh, I, I I maybe didn't present it the best way. Read them from the bottom. From the bottom. So okay, one, sorry, from yeah, the bottom. From now the least, so, the, so the worst did, did the yeah. least with the most right. was Stanford uh, at 130. Duke was second. Then Georgia Tech, Colorado, Vandy, USC, Northwestern, Indiana, FIU, TCU, Rutgers, Arkansas State, North Carolina. USF, Virginia Tech, Washington, Miami, Arizona, Southern Miss, Temple, Boston College, Kansas, and Missouri uh, is how we round it out. And, um, you know, so Texas isn't even on this list, which is surprising to me. But, um, you know, Stanford has been bad for a while. And this this is why I asked about Shaw. And, you know, Nick, to your credit, you said, look, uh, I, I said, Shaw's got to be on the hot seat at some point. You said, I think he has the safest job maybe in the country because he recruits so well. He's on television doing draft stuff. Like the guy is just, when he's an Stanford unbelievable. doesn't care about football. <laughs> There's no pressure. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. One. But uh, every team that has a program cares about football, even Kansas. So I'm not sure you know, Stanford uh, does. I think they do. I, I still think they, I, yeah. I think every team that wants to, that, that is carrying a team, that they want to be good. You don't want to be crappy, but it may not be your number one priority. But you what was the team GPA? Care. That's what they matter. That's what they yeah, care about. Well, you know what? God <laughs> bless them. So, uh, but but uh, you know, USC is on this list. Others that are, are surprising, like it's surprising to see Kansas and Arizona on this list because they don't have a lot. You know, I mean, Arizona does now. No excuses for Arizona moving forward with the way they're picking up transfers. So um, they have been incredible in the transfer portal. But uh, Miami on this list, Washington. So once again, I ask you the same question here, Nick. Uh, what stood out to you on this list of teams that uh, were completely underperforming, uh, you know, according to roster strength? So, yeah, I mean, Sanford being number one is, is a uh, – not a shock because they were so disappointing. Stanford, I, I, I mentioned Washington was kind of the, the one team that I'll 
bring up for years, I'm sure, because we were so high on Washington uh, coming into the year and, and they disappointed so much. But Stanford was that team a couple of years ago and they do recruit really well. So when they uh, fall off like this, it, it hurts. I mean, you know, they uh, looking at, at just recruiting ratings or recruiting strength ratings. Um, you know, they had several years of top 25 classes. They were outside the top 25 in 2018 and, and 2021. But as far as just, you know, putting a, a roster together, um, they, you know, pretty strong roster. And, and, and the vast majority of teams on this list are power five teams. And that's because the recruiting rating is, is the number one uh, and most important uh, thing that goes into roster strength. The experience counts, the production counts, but it's hard to overcome uh, one way or the other, bad or good, that that individual recruiting or excuse me, that team wide recruiting rating. And so power five teams are just they start off at a, at a higher level to begin with. Um, but Stanford is, you know, not quite in the same recruiting class as Duke, as Vanderbilt, as Colorado. They're not consistently, you know, among the lowest power five recruiters, 60s and, and uh, you know, 50s and 60s in, in the national rankings, Stanford is a top 25 level recruiter. And yeah, when you play like the 110th best team in the country, 115th, excuse me, 110th on offense, 117th on defense, 115th overall, you know, that that's going to be a, a real, real disappointment. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech, similar. They are kind of top heavy in recruiting, had a couple of really high, uh, you know, four star guys at important positions. Jeff Sims at quarterback, Jameer Gibbs at running back, guys who, who rank, you know, pretty well individual player rating wise are, you know, expected to be uh, big time performers. And Gibbs, I think, is, but they're just, you know, the rest of the roster and, and the team. Uh, as a whole, just couldn't put it together. And, and they finished 105th in team performance. So when you've got a top 50 roster and you're finishing in the, the triple digits, yeah, I mean, that, that's going to put you on on the wrong end of, of a list like this. USC, you know, we, we talk about it year after year, one of the top 20 best rosters in college football. Um, there's basically no excuse to uh, underperform the way that they did this year, four and eight. I mean, that's, that's, man, I know they had injuries at, at some key spots. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a, a major, major disappointment for USC. But uh, a couple of the teams, you know, that, that jump out to me most maybe are the few G5 teams that are on this list. Because like I said, that recruiting rating is the biggest piece. And that's why a team like Vanderbilt, who, you know, is consistently a, a triple digit finisher in team performance and, and this year particularly bad at 125, but they still, you know, are, are as far as the recruiting ratings go, consistently a top 55 recruiter. But a team like FIU is not that. USF is not that. Uh, Southern Miss, Temple. But they do recruit relatively well, at least for the group of five and FIU and USF, you know, being in Florida, 
Um, and USF is, has, uh, you know, done a lot of transfer portal stuff, not just in the last year or two when it's everybody in college football. I mean, they were doing it at the end of the Charlie Strong era. Um, so their roster on paper should be that of a, you know, conference contending team. Uh, and they were a team that really bit me as far as, you know, the, the ratings went a few years ago. They were a team that actually led helped lead the de- to the decision to bump down the way we weighed experience a little bit because USF was like top 20 roster and, and ended up being a really bad team. Uh, but, you know, just pure talent wise, FIU and USF, they should be competitive. They should not be two of the worst teams in college football. Uh, Temple, you know, maybe I know they've, they've had a r- real string of uh, just some roster issues injuries and, and things like that, but they should have been a lot better. And then Southern Miss is one that injuries, I think, are a little bit of an excuse. They just had, they were on what their fifth string quarterback and then had to go to uh, all Wildcat all the time with Frank Gore and Demarcus Jones and, and guys like that. So Southern Miss is a little bit of a, a different case. Um, they just were so decimated by injury that, that they ended up performing much worse than expected. Uh, but the other two, FIU, USF, uh, and Temple, maybe they just they have decently talented rosters, at least compared to the level that they are. And to be as 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 bad as they were, it's almost no excuse. They they were among the the biggest disappointments for for me. And to be a Group of Five team on this list um, is is rare. And so it kind of sticks out a little bit. Yeah, I mean. Very rare. And, uh, <laughs> Xavier, when you look at this list, what is it that uh, stands out to you um, as far as teams underperforming from what they've recruited and kind of put in the, the legwork? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you got to blame the coaching staff here. This is this mm-hmm. looks like this is a coaching number, right? You yeah. have a good roster, but you are underperforming. Absolutely. And I think what's so surprising about this list and something I kind of chuckled to myself about a lot of these teams on this list that uh, a lot of these teams on this list aren't highly recruiting. The number the number in recruiting isn't typically high within their own conference, but in the grand scheme of things, they're still a very high recruiter. That's why Vandy on this list is so funny to me, because when we think about Vandy, we're like, they suck in the in the Mm -hmm. S in the pertains to the SEC. But when you look around the country, they still finish like top 50 every year. And so it's like, even though Vandy can't win a game in the SEC to save its life, in you know, in large scale, they should be able to win the games that aren't against SEC opponents, which at least bare minimum, that's three a year. And even then they struggle. So teams like that I think are hilarious. Colorado's another one of those teams that I think falls right in that vein. When it comes to the Pac-12, they're not a very high recruiter in the Pac-12, finishing in the bottom half over the last three seasons. But in the grand scheme, a team like Colorado should be able to win games. Uh, obviously, Stanford is on this list. Stanford typically is a pretty good recruiter, um, even in you know even in Pac-12 uh, respects. So you know that's it, that's also impressive. Miami being on this list, Stanford's going to piss me off again. They they had like the twelfth. <laughs> yeah, they they they're like twelfth or something right now in the rankings, right? In, in recruiting rankings, I, they are top twenty. You just yeah. mentioned them. You just mentioned them, Xavier. So, yeah, it, they're very, very high. They, they continue to bring in solid classes year after year, even with the academic restraints that they have at that, at that high university. And they still just get on the field and they're like, well, we don't know how to fix this algorithm. Like, figure it out. Come on, guys. 
Uh, so you know, it, it's it's funny. Are y'all supposed like, to be geniuses? Come on, something like these these are astrophysicists, but can't throw the football in a straight line. But Bunch you know, of JT it Daniels. Is. <laughs> <laughs> I hope JT Daniels transferred to Stanford just just so this also makes more sense. Uh, I don't know if he has the great point average to do so, but hey, whatever. Uh, you know, a, a team like Miami on this list. Okay, they got to be the one that surprises me the most is Arizona. Now, just taking into account that Arizona had a walk-on tryout midway through the year, like, I, like I, I know Arizona recruited well, but how many of the you know the retention rate, the retention rate on that team was pretty it was pretty low, you know, when it came to the, to that season. So for them to be on this list, you know, when I think me and Scott could have went out there and got a couple reps, is 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 uh, is, is an interesting number for them to be on this list. To be honest. I think you and Nick probably would have better, uh, uh, better odds. Nick, I, Nick could be my OC. I, I, I'll go run reps. We, we, I'm we the, uh, I'm the elder statesman of this by like I don't know, the, uh, not a lot over Nick, but still <laughs> the elder statesman. So, uh, but I am long yeah. retired and wasn't very good <sighs> even when. Yeah, I was I'm not a has retired. been. I'm a never was. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, I um. Yeah, th- this list is very interesting, and and I'm glad you put this together because this kind of you know once again this shows uh, th- these are different measurements that you're not used to looking at, and I like the because uh, this really is a coaching one. Uh, this, this yeah, one I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because I I should have said it at the beginning and didn't. Uh, but yes, I want to incorporate the reason I put this together, the the roster shooting first team performance is I do think it should be incorporated into our head coaching ratings right now in the last few years, our head coaching ratings are just team perform. It's it's a weighted team performance for that individual coach based on the team where they were. But I do think it adds a little bit more of a layer because, you know, uh, is that coach getting the most out of their talent using an example of where this might be a little bit more informative coming into this past year, and, and, you know, UCF has consistently ranked among the power five, or excuse me, among the, the highest ranked teams in uh, the group of five, according to our uh, preseason rankings and, and, you know, team strength powering, all that good stuff. They were a little bit inflated this year because Gus Malzahn came in basically as a top 10 head coach, the way we calculated team performance. And that's, you know, I thought he was, I I still do think he's a pretty good coach, but it can't, you know, I can't really argue with people who say he doesn't get the most out of his talent. And perhaps if I had incorporated the team performance compared to roster strength, maybe he wouldn't have been a top 10 coach. And maybe we would have, you know, had UCF a, a few spots lower and Dylan Gabriel going out with an injury is a big part of why they didn't live up to our expectations. But, you know, perhaps we would have been a little more correct in, in, uh, a situation there. Dana Holgerson, because he moved from a power five to a G five, uh, had been a little, probably, uh, a little too highly ranked in our head coaching ratings. And, and maybe if I had, uh, incorporated this as sort of an extra layer in that it, it would have helped, but, um, but, you know, a little bit bigger picture, the reason I wanted to put these two together and this is available to all our patrons or our team performance plus minus is the way it's uh, labeled in the team profiles. Uh, we do have it on each team page and we do have it uh, on the, the national ratings and rankings page as well. Uh, the other is just a, a simple calculation 
Um, it, it's not a standalone uh, number on the sheets, but it's it's pretty easy to get to uh, or pretty easy to calculate. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to uh, put a number to some of these things because this isn't just a top 20 you know, slideshow that we put together and wrote up, oh, these are my opinion of the, the most improved teams or the most disappointing or the teams that underachieved their talent. I actually wanted to put uh, a number with some basis, you know, and you can argue that, that we have a flawed process in the way we build these numbers, uh, trying to, to, you know, make, do the best we can and, and, and figure that out best uh, to where maybe you can't make that argument. But uh, still wanted to, to uh, be able to quantify it in some way. And as of right now, this is the best way that, that we could do it while we built it together. But to your point, Scott, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I think the second list that we mentioned should be uh, taken into account when we're looking at, at coaching ratings and rankings for sure. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this uh, a lot of the offseason we're going to have to uh, evaluate these teams and uh, look at the new roster construction. And uh, honestly, I think this year, even more than 2020, 2020, almost a test run on the transfer portal. Now that guys know what it's all about and how you can take advantage of it, uh, it's almost like free agency. So lots of moving and shaking. These rosters are going to be way different going into 2022 than they were in 2021. And that is going to be a big part of yeah. how you're going to want to make your preseason bets and, and picks and all that good stuff. So especially, especially when you see a lot of these programs are starting to build and flesh out an NIL program for a lot of right. these kids that is going to become a recruiting tool sooner rather than later. Uh, Kirby smart and Nick Saban both spoke on how they feel like it's a little tad bit unfair for teams of their caliber to have something like this because they feel like the teams of their ilk will just be able to kind of run away with it. Uh, which was them kind of like, I don't know, slapping their own wrists, but like genuinely for schools that big to have NIL programs that are going to allow kids that come in right away to have financial resources. If, you know, if available to them is going to be a massive recruiting tool. Right. So um, a lot of good points on this show. So this was, uh, this is our first kind of off season. We don't have any games to talk about show. Uh, and I think this was a very, very good one, Nick. Great idea on uh you know putting these numbers together and i'm sure a lot of work went into that too in between uh you know uh, moving guys around as far as transfer portal stuff and draft stuff goes too so only two more days of draft stuff for you right because i believe the uh the declaration deadline is the 20th correct yeah it's it's going to be an ongoing process though because of the free year in 2020 because we have uh you know tried to do the best we could on labeling guys as super seniors and only have one year of eligibility or you know whatever, but it's going to be, it's going to be a daily thing to try to keep up with. Oh, did that guy actually leave? Did he take advantage of the extra year? Did he, you know, so it, it right. uh, in one way, yes, because we'll know for sure all the early declare guys. And I have been going through and building a list, which uh, is almost to 700 now, I believe, uh, <laughs> of of guys who are, yeah, 667. So we're two-thirds you imagine of imagine working in an NFL uh, <laughs> uh, front office this year, like trying to work on draft classes and something, and you have 700 players to, to run through? I mean, and that's not... I mean that's probably not including all of the FCS and you no, know, this Canadian is only and FBS all of players. that. 
This is I mean, only FBS players in our team profiles. I'm going to get a thousand scouting reports together. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's just insanity. Sky, guys are going to fall through the cracks. That's just oh, what for it's sure. going to be. So, for sure. Uh, but but, uh, but all the have gone through all the all-star games and all that, and, and, and that'll at least be the biggest part of it because those are the good players. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Theory. Yeah. They're the guys who have a potential NFL future. So they're the ones that should uh, impact our uh, ratings the most. So that'll be good. But I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and know that it can't be perfect, but try to, to make it as best I can. So I'm trying to chase down. Oh, yeah. That that <laughs> kicker, he was listed as a super senior. Is he back? I don't know. So right. it's it's gonna yeah. be a it's gonna be a, a grind, but uh lots of uh, work left to do, uh, yeah, for sure. So keeps me busy. uh but yeah, but remember you can follow us all on the Twitter uh at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Tristy R I C H E for Xavier, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.